Amen. Come on, you can do better than that. Amen. Regardless who is up here, uh, we get to worship the Lord. Uh, we don't have terrorists coming down to close our doors or anything like that. We're not being persecuted. We get to worship the Lord together. And for that, we should say, come on. You see what's going on in Afghanistan. Okay? So here's the thing. We've gotten a little bit too comfortable. COVID came, rattled us pretty well. Some of us had to stay inside for a long period of time. And then we get back to this church thing. We're all excited about it. And then guess what? We find our nice, comfy seats. I mean, yeah, they are comfortable, but that's not the point. I I don't know what would happen if we became the persecuted church in America. How would you react? How would you respond? Uh, Would we take church for granted as much as we do now? I mean, some of us, uh, yes, absolutely. We love being here, and I love being here. I love having you here. Preaching to a camera is, ugh. But seeing your faces. But, but, But here's the thing. Like I said, church is not about the comfy seat you're in or the coffee back there, or even the potlucks afterwards. Church is about setting our gaze upon Christ, putting our focus and all of our attention on Jesus, and standing in him. Not in this building, because you and I, this building could be completely gone. But you and I are what makes up the church. It's it's a group of people on the same mission to preach the gospel, the gospel that saves You know that gospel, right? You know the gospel that saved you from hell and brought you out of the darkness and into the light. You know that gospel, right? Did it save you? Jesus Christ died for you, not so you and I could sit in comfy chairs, but so we could proclaim the greatness of our God. Amen? That's what they're doing in Afghanistan right now. They are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, the name that has the power to save above all other names. I heard this uh, story this morning about an underground church who two weeks uh, ago, we're only seeing about 250 people uh, attend their church services. In the last two weeks, the last two Sundays, they have seen over 3,500 people go to church. Yes, if that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what does. God is working in the midst of what is happening in Afghanistan through the church. There are many persecuted Christians out there today, missionaries that have said, we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave because we want to continue to share the gospel. May that be our hearts this morning, church. That no matter how bad it gets, we would continue to share the gospel. That no matter if if, if Newsom happens to not be recalled and tries shutting us down again, we preach the gospel. A little fired up this morning. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, we'll be finishing, and chapter 4. Uh, why don't you turn there, go ahead and stand, and we will get into the Word of God together this morning. Um, I'm excited to wrap up this, this, uh, this 
letter. Um, it's been an incredible journey through it for this summer. Uh, next week, we will have just a, I, I mentioned actually last week, we'll have a new series, but I realize that I'll be here next week, but then the following week, I'll be at Calvary Chapel. We'll have Saul Heal here uh, preaching uh, for us, so kind of some pastoral shifts going on around town, and actually this week, I got to talk to another pastor who's very interested in doing that as well, so we really want the church to be to be united, not divided in this season. So, um, but chapter three, starting in verse 18, going, uh, we're going to read all of chapter three, and then we'll, we'll pause there and pick up chapter four as we dive into it. Uh, but it starts out with wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, you're not left out on this one. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do. Can everybody say whatever? Not in some punk attitude way, but whatever, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Amen? For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, as we get into it this morning, may our hearts just be set ablaze for you. God, we want to be on fire for you. Not the things of this world, not the circumstances in our lives, but we want to be on fire for you, Jesus, and ask that you would just reignite that fire within us. Help us to get out of our comfort zone. Help us to remember that coming to church is not about the seats that we sit in or the coffee that we drink, but it's all about you. Help us to live that out daily. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. May this message be your message. May these words be your words. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We haven't done this in a while. You can be seated. Um, but if you repeat after me, God is good. God is Jesus is real. Jesus. His word is alive. I am his. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So last week we, uh, we talked about exterminating bugs. No, we didn't talk about exterminating bugs, although that was incorporated <laughs> within the, the message. We talked about putting to death that which is earthly in us, because let's face it, you and I still have some earthly issues that come out every once in a while, whether it be anger, malice, sexual immorality, you fill in the blank. Sometimes our flesh likes to rear its ugly head. Right, you've seen it in spouses. I'm sure you've seen it in your spouse too. Uh, and I'm glad Paul brings up this relational aspect of of what the Christian should look like now. Remember, uh, you once were walking in darkness. Right, you once were part of the domain of darkness, as Paul says. But now, because Jesus has transferred you, remember, it literally means to drag you out of the domain of darkness by what he's done for us. He has brought you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen? That's good news. For most of us in here, I think we all have been dragged out of the darkness and brought into the marvelous light, right? Good news. But there has to be a change that comes with walking in the light because you no longer walk like you walked in 
the darkness. That's not who you are anymore. And Paul gives us uh, uh, commands on how to walk in the light. He says, put these on. Compassion, tender mercies, patience, all of these things that we struggle with. He's saying, listen, put these things on. Put these on and you will fulfill how God has called you to to walk. Uh, But we struggle with that, don't we? Um, There are times where we're not even close to being compassionate. There are times where we're not even close to being patient or kind. Or, and it's a struggle we have. But the good news is, is that when you and I fall short, because I don't know if you've noticed or realized this, pastors and elders fall short too, there's forgiveness. When your spouse isn't being so compassionate towards you, when you're going through this or that or the other, there's forgiveness. When you're being impatient, there's forgiveness for that. But then we got to get back up and we got to try it again. We got to keep going forward, keep walking in the light. But I love what, what it means for the believer. So now that we're in the light, everything is different. Everything, how we handle ourselves is different. The way we handle relationships is different. How we view our employees or our boss is different. Everything changes because of what Jesus has done inside of you. You no longer look at what you are doing or what you have done the same anymore because of that change that is within you. And Paul, here, he pulls out or points out some areas that, that should be different now. For one, in verses 18 through 21, he points out the Christian household, which includes wives, husbands, children, father. Uh, Back in that time, it would have included slaves. Uh, But he he says, that has to be different. Everything uh, you've ever known about your household now, because you are saved, because you have been dragged out of the dark and brought into the light, the way you respond to one another and the way you treat one another should be different. He also points out the workplace, verse 22 uh, to chapter 4, verse 1. The employee-to-boss relationship, that changes. Some of you may hate your boss. Well, because you're walking in the light, your response to your boss should be much different now. But I don't know if you've realized this. Being a new creation doesn't just involve you. It involves everyone around you. Because if it just involved us, that would make it so easy. All I'd have to do is worry about me and focus on me. But no, now i gotta, now I got to make sure my relationship with my wife is, is the way that God has called it to be. My, my relationship with my husband, my kids, my parents, everything. And, and for some, it may be this overwhelming, daunting task. Like, how do I do this? Well, Paul, not only in this book... But in other books as well, he gives us a breakdown on how to do that. And he starts with wives. I have titled this message, A Word to the dot, dot, dot. Because he has a word to each of these types of individuals. He starts with the wives in verse 18. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And for you wives right now, you're probably bumping shoulders or bumping your husband. Like, did you, did you hear what he, I had that backwards. Husbands, you're probably bumping your wives. <laughs> But I'm not far off because the Bible actually says submit to one another. So you should be bumping each other. (laughs) But submit, this word carries so much weight with it. And a lot of men will take this verse or this word and they will claim it as their own. See, I'm superior. You're supposed to submit. You're under me. I'm your master. Let me tell you this, wives. If you have a husband who is like that, 
I want you to know this morning that the only one superior to you is Jesus Christ. Your husband is not superior to you. He may be your leader, but he is not your master. Jesus is your master. There's no amens on that, but it's okay. I got it from Cliff all the way in the back. See, the reason we're called to submit to, the, to this order is because it's God's design for the Christian household. The, this word, it literally, it carries this military uh, verbiage with it. It literally means to come under rank, and it speaks of the way an army is organized. There are different types of rankings, right? You have generals, uh, colonels, majors, captains, sergeants, privates. And privates, let's face it, can be smarter than a general, but still falls under the ranking of the top guy, right? He, but he is submitted to the general, not because of the person that he is, but the position that he is in. He is in the lead position. And like husbands and wives, God has called men to lead. So men, it's time to step up and lead our wives. It's time to get off our butts and to serve our wives. It's time to stop treating our wives like slaves or an extension of your mother because all they do is feed you and take care of Scratch that, please. Husband, it is time to put our big boy boots on, strap them on, and serve our wives. See, wives don't submit, and wives, this, this is good news. Your husband hasn't done anything to deserve your submission, has he? <laughs> he hasn't done anything to deserve you submitting to him. It's the way God has called it to be. Uh, the Lord has called men to lead their family, and like I said, it's time for men to start standing up to the plate and start leading our families, especially in a time like this. See, this is a word to the wives, not the husbands. Husbands, this is not your mail to check. This is the wives. Wives are called to submit how the Lord has called them to. Not how you've called them to, but how the Lord has called them to. And please, husband, for those in-house and watching, don't use this verse as a threat to your wife. Don't, don't, don't twist scripture. This is a call by God to submit in a godly way, not an ungodly way. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, he says in verses 20, 22 through 23, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And you might have the question this morning, well, what if my husband isn't a believer? Believer, you're still called to submit. You may be a believer. God has called you to submit to your unbelieving husband. Why? Because that is God's design. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, likewise, wives, be subject to your own hus husbands, check this out, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You're still called to be a Christian. You're still called to be a light, even if you have an unbelieving husband. And if you have an unbelieving husband this morning, don't look at it as a discouragement. Don't look at it as this, oh man, I, I, I wish my husband was in church with me this morning. I wish he would be in church. Listen, 
You are the greatest influence of Christ that he has because you are a Christian. You are a believer. You shine the light of Christ into your unbelieving husband's life. God is going to use you to speak the word into his life. Point number two is a word to the husbands. And some of you are not married. I get that. But still God's word. We're still called to read it. We're still called to understand it. One day some of you may be married and some of this may come up and and it may encourage you on how to love your wife or submit to your husband. But verse 19, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Biblically and historically, women lived under harsh restrictions. Uh, I was on Jews for Jesus website uh, this week studying for this message and I, I pulled some of the things that uh, the restrictions that these uh, Jewish women had on their life. Uh, for starters, uh, a woman's life was confined almost entirely within the private family sphere. She couldn't really go out. Uh, women were not allowed to testify in court. Women could not engage in commerce. Women were separated from men in private, public, and religious life. Women were not allowed to do their own shopping. Man, men, were they in trouble. (laughs) They weren't allowed to do their uh, uh, own shopping. That means the guys had to go out. Ask my wife how well I do at grocery shopping. Women were placed in the category of Gentiles, minors, deaf mutes, and undesirables, such as gamblers, the insane, and pigeon racers. But here's the good news. Jesus changed all of that. Amen? Jesus revolutionized it all. He, he came in, he said, no, 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 no. Uh, this guy, I don't know how to say his name, Zahaba, Glasser. Anyways, he says the first proclaimer of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel was a woman. It was Women who were with him at his execution and women who were the first to proclaim his resurrection. Imagine the view that these husbands had of their women's before they actually got this letter. All they knew was to treat them in a a, a Jewish type of way, to, to keep their distance. And then this is read, this letter is read aloud and the men are like, what? I'm supposed to love my wife? I'm supposed to not treat her harshly? Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you see how all my other friends do this? Like, so imagine reading this or hearing this for the first time. They, they had a whole different view of their wives. No longer it was a, a, a separation thing or, or you could do this or you couldn't do that. It, it, Jesus said, no, I'm squashing that. That is not how I've called you to, to marriage. So how are husbands called to love their wives? Ephesians 5.22, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. I believe there are three primary ways husbands are called to love their wives. Uh, Number one, sacrificially. Putting her needs above his needs. Like I said, husbands, Your wife is not your slave, nor is she an extension of your mother. She is not there to do your laundry, although it's nice when laundry gets done. Uh, (laughs) She's not there to just cook you meals and make sure your socks are all together and on and on and on. She's not there for that. When, When you got married, 
the two became one, right? The two became one in the sense that you were on the same mission, the same, uh, the, the same route together. I, I literally had a counseling moment with a wife who said, I don't feel like his wife. I feel like an extension of his mother. All I do is clean up after him, feed him, and that's it. That's what he expects me to do. And our expectations of our wives to, to do that, husbands, we need a reality check. We need a biblical heart check. And a strong word for the husbands this morning is, like I mentioned, it's time to get up off of our seats and to serve our wives. Uh, if the first thing you do when you get home is just pull out the lazy boy and you're there for the rest of the, the evening, you've got some issues. You're called to serve your family, to lead your family, not just to sit there like a couch potato. I'm surprised they don't have that in the Olympics yet. How well you can sit on the couch. They have everything else. <laughs> but I believe it's also by being set apart. Uh, there is nothing that, that, that brings me greater joy than to see a, a husband who is loving his wife in public. Yes, private as well, but public. Public speaks volumes. When, when the husband puts his arm around, around his wife or, or they're holding hands while they're praying or they're, they're doing this, that, or the other. A, a great example of this is Ian and Sarah. Uh, just watch them at any amount of time. Uh, and if you need examples, there are many other examples within the church that, that love each other and submit to each other really well. But being set apart by the love you have for your wife. It, it speaks more than just, I love my wife. I love my wife because Christ has called me to love her the way he loved me. And when you love your wife that way, it sends this message of, I have a love that's totally different from the rest of the world. Because Jesus loves me, I am called to love in that way. The third one is washed in the word. Now I have a question for the wives this morning. When is the last time you could tell your husband took a shower? <laughs> Has it been a while? Oh, somebody gave me a, eh. I'm not talking about like a physical shower. I, I, I'm talking about showering themselves in the word. When is the last time you could tell your husband actually showered in the word of God? That he actually spent time in the Lord's presence. He soaked in the Lord. Let me tell you this. If you don't allow your husband to have time in the word by himself, you will not reap the benefits of it. Wives, you get the benefit. Because, you know, like a physical shower, if he comes out and he smells good, guess who's getting a whiff of it? You are. So, Husbands, you need to wash your bride, your wife, in the word. And the husbands might have the same question. What if my wife doesn't submit? It doesn't matter. You're still called to love her as Christ loved the church. David Guzik said, said this. He said, worldly headship says, I'm your head, so you take your orders from me and must do whatever I want. Godly headship says, I am your, your head, so I must care for you and serve you. See the difference? Worldly submission says, you must submit to me, so here are the things I want you to do for me. While godly submission says, you must submit to me, so I am accountable before God for you. I must care for you and serve you. There's a difference between worldly headship and godly headship. 
worldly submission and godly submission. Now, a word to the children and fathers. Number three, children, this is a tall order for us kids. Obey your parents in some of the things. You got your Bibles out, don't you? You're looking at that scripture. It's not even up there. This is why we bring our Bibles to church, because the pastor might say something wrong, like I just did, right? In, in what? In everything, always, right? Children, obey in everything, not just in the things that you want to, not just when you're feeling like, yeah, okay, I, I, everything. <laughs> it says, for this pleases the Lord. So why do children obey their parents and everything? The answer is right there, for this pleases the Lord. As long as you and I still have parents in this world, we are still their children, believe it or not. If your parents are still, you may be sitting next to one of them, you're still a child today, you're called to obey in everything your parent. You don't grow out of that children phase. Yes, you may get older, but you're still called to obey. Exodus 12, uh, 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in that land that the Lord your God is giving you. I'm wondering how many parents have actually used this verse as a threat. Like, you know what the Bible says, honor your father or, or mother in my loose paraphrase transla- translation or you're going to get wiped out, right? That's basically what God is saying. He, he's, he's saying honor your father and mother that your days may be long. I, trust me, I've used that one on my kids too. But do you remember how Paul said back in chapter 3, he said, he said, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on all these. But then he says something really different. He says, but above all these, put on what? It's a four-letter word, not that four-letter word. L-O-V-E. What is it? He says, above all that, put on love. When parents lead their children out of love, children will learn to obey out of love. This word obey literally means to listen. And I know you as a parent have probably said this before. Are you listening to me? Anybody ever say that before? Yeah. And, and most of the time, your reaction, the reaction you get is, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I hear you. Well, if you're listening to me, then why don't you do what I told you to do? You've had that talk before, right? Yeah. But simply put, the children... Uh, children are called to obey by listening to what their parents are teaching them in the Lord. Uh, There are so many uh, uh, commands and principles for how children are to live. I I think so many times we come across this, this book and we look at it as a book just for adults. But there are things in God's word that are straight towards and for the kids. And that's why it's important as parents and grandparents to also wash our kids in the word so that they might know when it comes to living in this secular world and in, in, the, in the darkness of this world, what the difference is between godly and ungodly. Right now, we're seeing a lot of ungodly. So how are our kids going to know the difference if we don't teach them? If we just expect them to know it, newsflash, they're not going to know that. They're not going to get that. You have to put some emphasis in teaching them how to put into practice what the word says. 
But I love how Paul, he continues on with talking to fathers. Now, let's be honest for a moment. It's usually the mother who is a little bit more on the softer, tender side when it comes to parenting, right? The, the father is a little bit more uh, tough. And, and, and Paul says here, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, kids can be all over the place at times. One minute they're over there doing this, and the next minute they're here just waiting to be as obedient as possible. And for some reason, the father has a hard time with that. <laughs> the mother's got the patience. I really believe that, that, that mothers have this supernatural amount of patience. Uh, but the dads oftentimes get uptight. Uh, they, they, they see their kids or their grandkids doing things they shouldn't, and instead of being patient, what do they do? They lash out at them. They're kids. See, Paul is saying don't nag or put them down to a point where they become frustrated and feel inferior. Fathers, how you love and discipline and exhort your children will influence them in their future. How we teach them now and discipline now and love them now will make a difference. Number four, a word to the employees and boss Verses 22 through uh, chapter 4, when bondservants obey, where, there's that word again, obey in everything, all things, those who are your earthly masters, not by, by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I think we can all attest to this, but the work ethic in our workplaces in our day and age is not as strong as it used to be. It is full of unethical deals. It is full of sexual harassment. It is full of stealing, cheating, laziness, especially the next generation after me who expects to receive everything without doing much of anything. But listen, that's not how we're called to be in the workplace. Your motivation for obeying your boss should not be the paycheck. It should not be, oh, look how much money I made. Rather, Paul says, uh, obey all those who are, are your earthly masters. And he says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Your motivation should not be the paycheck. The paycheck is a bonus. It's an extra why? Because Paul is saying there's something better, there's something greater, and it's knowing that you will receive the inheritance as your reward. J.B. Phillips' translation puts it this way. Whatever you do, put your whole heart and soul into it as into work done for God, and not merely for men knowing that your real reward, a heavenly one, will come from God since you are actually employed by Christ and not just your earthly master. When you have this mindset and this perspective that it's no longer uh, for the paycheck, but it's to please the Lord, it changes the way you view your boss. It changes the way you interact with uh, your, your coworkers. 
And maybe as we've gone through these very quickly, rather, maybe you feel like you've fallen short. When it, either it comes to wives submitting to your husbands, husbands loving your wives, children obeying your parents, fathers uh, not provoking your children, maybe you feel like you've fallen short. You're in good company. We all have. Nobody gets this 100% right. And there's grace for that. There's mercy for that. Because God knows we're going to mess up. God knows we're going to fall short. But the Lord also extends his forgiveness to us when we do. In chapters 4, chapter 4, 2 through 18, uh, number 5 is a word to the praying person. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may... Make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, many uh, who heard the letter read aloud, they would have thought that their prayers were going unheard. Because here they were praying for Paul, and they were praying for strength and all this. And then they hear that Paul is actually in jail. He's in prison. And to some, they would think, man, I'm just losing heart and praying for this. Because I, I look one way, and then I look the other way, and Paul's in prison again. I, I don't know what to do. But Paul reminds them that the fruit of the prayers is actually him in prison. Uh, Ephesians 6.20, it says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may de- declare it boldly as I ought to. Philippians 1.12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And so Paul is saying, listen, pray for an open door. Pray that the word of God may be declared. And that... Paul, at the time, would be clear when he declares it. The last point we have, a word to our witness. Have you ever heard of Salt Bay? Anybody? Not not B-A-Y, but B-A-E? Okay, we're same age. Um, So here's how this guy got famous. I say this because... Uh, It has to do with this verse, but what this guy did is he took a handful of salt, and he's a chef or whatever, and he took a handful of it, of salt, and he had it like this, and he drops it to only have it fall off his elbow, and for some reason or another, he got famous for doing that. He's viral, I guess, and now other people try to copy him. Anyways, uh, we need some of that salt in our own lives. Uh, the, the, the salt that we have from the Lord should bounce off of us into other people's lives. It, he, he, says, uh, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. But I want to back up just for a minute. In verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time. Research shows, this is fascinating, you spend at least six months of your life at red lights. Six months of your life at red lights. Maybe some of you less because you speed through those red lights. But here's the question. What do you do at those red lights? Thank you. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're like some of us and you've got your phone on the seat right here and you're at a red light, right? And, oh, perfect opportunity. Is there a cop looking? Am I good? Or, 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 or maybe you'll check Facebook and, and, and Instagram and, and you think, I've got this opportunity, I'm at a red light. What if you actually exchanged looking at Facebook and you had your Bible next to you? 
And every time you came up to a red light and you had to stop, rather than checking your phone, you read a verse. Or you prayed for somebody. You had a prayer list in your car. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our, of our time. Now, Paul closes in chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to look at the names very quickly uh, because he drops a lot of names. Verses 7 through 9, he talks about a guy named Tychicus. Uh, He was the biblical mailman of the day. He was the guy who would carry the letter to the believers in Colossae. Uh, And you can do the same. When it comes to God's word, you can be a mailman of God's word, a male woman of God's word. Uh, We find Onesimus. Onesimus, if you remember, was the slave of a guy named Philemon. And then in verse 10 through 17, we come across another guy, Aristarchus. This man seemed to accompany Paul in all of his troubles. He was Paul's travel companion. And in verse 10, we come across Mark. If you're familiar with Acts chapter 13, you know that, that Paul and Mark had a falling out. They, they, they had an argument or a disagreement on who would go with who. And so Mark actually went separate ways. But don't you love how Paul includes Mark in his letter? Because guess what? He got over the disagreement. He got over the issue that they had. And it's a word for us. Maybe you've got somebody who has a disagreement with you or you have a disagreement with them. Just like Paul, you can move forward. You can, you can move on with it. In verse 11, we read a guy, uh, about a guy named Justice. We don't know anything about this guy. <laughs> verse 12, Epaphras. Uh, he's the leader of the church in Colossae. You've heard me talk about this guy before, but he would have been the guy who was praying over this church, who was leading this church. He was the pastor of the church. And then in verse 14, Luke. Luke was a what? A doctor. And Paul seemed to get in a lot of trouble, whether it be snake bites, shipwrecks, uh, being hungry and thirsty. So it was a good idea to have a doctor accompany him. Demas, Paul says in verse 14, eventually would desert Paul. 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. And then verse 15, Nymphus. Not sure what kind of name that is, but Nymphus. There's a huge debate over it, whether it's a man or a woman, but I don't think it's significant to us because it says that this person had a church in their house. This person was, uh, was shepherding a little small group, if you will. And then the last person he brings up is Archippus. If you're looking for names, just look at the end of Colossians. And you got somebody who's going to have a baby soon. You can maybe do Nymphus or Archippus or I don't know. But he told Archippus to stay the course. Do what God has called you to do. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And it's a word for us. God has called you and I to some ministry, to something uh, to do for him. And it's a word for all of us today to stay the course. Stay faithful to what God has called you to do. So, if we could sum up the whole book of Colossians, it would be this. And Paul makes it abundantly clear because he's all about this. Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. That's the final, final summation of this book. That if you have Jesus, you have everything. 
He was convinced of that. And this morning, I'm wondering, are we convinced of that too? If we had all of this stripped away, if we had the chairs taken out, if we had the sound system removed, if all we had was just a guitar and our Bibles, and we had to sit out there, but we had Jesus, would that be enough for you? Would that be enough for me? I like my comfortable spots. I like being in in my places where I'm familiar with, but I don't think God is calling us to that. So are you convinced that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is everything you need? And if you're not, go read Colossians again. Paul proves it, that Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this awesome letter that we got to, to read, to study Lord, there's so much more in it, and God, I pray that this wouldn't be the last time we're in it, God. We would continue digging deep into the letter to the Colossians, Lord. God, I pray that you would, uh, you would just sear that truth upon our hearts, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God, we thank you. We thank you just for your faithfulness. God, help us to live it out. Help us to to live it out that Jesus is all we need. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Hello all and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.